Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, Unplanned Pregnancies, Financial Advice, Cornerstones and Quarter Tones, Male Genitalia, and the Apocalypse. This is Vinyl Tap. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced its long play 33 and a third microgroove record. The next year, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM. Consumers had a choice between buying only the songs they liked or 45 minutes of music requiring effort to appreciate. It would take some time to realize the potential of the longer format, a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with just the hits. This is Vinyl Tap is about taking a deep dive into the full album. All right, guys. We have a a good one tonight. Uh, Unfortunately, I think all three of us really like this album. We're talking about Jackson Brown's 1973 album for every man. This is his second album. It's my favorite. Well, let's go song by song. Uh, I do want to tell everybody, this is the financial uh, advice portion of the show. <laughs> um, we can learn something from these albums. And number one on this album is, if you have an opportunity to write a song with one of the Eagles, uh, you should take <laughs> that opportunity and try to make sure it gets on the Greatest Hits album which uh, sold 38 million copies and is the number one selling album uh, in the United States of all time. So, yeah, I guess it's quite possible Jackson Brown's made more money off of that than the rest of his career. That was a uh, that was good foresight on his part, wasn't it? To know to to, to co-write that song with Glenn Fry and yeah. have the Eagles record it first. Um, yeah. there, I, I guess there's a, you know I actually like this version better than the Eagles version. I don't know if that's sacrilege or not, but what, but, what? Um, did, James, did Jason say you disagreed with that? No, I don't disagree with that. I think okay, this, album, this song is much a much better version than the Eagles version. And, and you know that's maybe my bias towards kind of disparaging the Eagles. It's easy to do, I think. Um, I mean, Glenn Fry, maybe, I think he's better than Don Henley, but we're not talking about him anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I prefer this version of the song. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's, you know, just better sounding. I like Jackson Brown's take on it. Um, it's a little slower tempoed. I, I, I don't know all of uh, the history behind it. I saw, I read someplace that um, Jackson Brown had most of it written and uh, Glenn Fry, I guess, asked to do it, and he gave it to him and said, "Just finish it up, and you can record it." And so, yeah, I saw an interview kind of, today, and Jackson Brown said he kept bugging him about finishing the song, and he couldn't get it finished. So finally, he just gave it to him, and he's the one that put the part in about the flatbed truck slowing down to have a look, which uh, probably is the part everybody remembers the best. Yeah, the that's the part song. everybody remembers. Yeah, that's the. Uh, 
That's a part Glenn Fry, right? Yeah, it surprised me. That's and interesting. Glenn Fry yeah, made a... up some story about Jackson Brown having a breakdown in Winslow, Arizona. <laughs> Jackson well, Brown said, that never you know, happened. <laughs> it, it's funny. Uh, we, I actually have family pictures that there's a, in Winslow, there's a little uh, shrine to this song with a yeah. statue and a flatbed pickup and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a fake corner you can stand on and get your picture taken. Um, That's probably anyway. a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way to begin because I think it's, it's a little unlike anything else on the album. As much as I love this album, as much as I listen to it, it definitely, um, feels a little different than anything else on it. I don't like the Eagles version because first of all, I just despise the Eagles harmonies. Everybody talks about how great their <laughs> harmonies are. I, I despise them. Uh, the second thing is it, their version has one of my biggest pet peeves of the unnecessary uh, oohs or ahs or dump. Like, I can't think of a a lyric to put here, so I'm just going to start going, ooh, or just doing some sort of, you know, wordless mouth play and that that just drives me completely insane well you know what they should have done instead they should have gotten uh sneaky pete to put a bunch of texture on there with his yeah slide guitar yeah and just slide into another song right straight from there (laughs) like exactly what jackson brown does and you know that 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 gentle slide playing in the background makes me love this song and Jackson Brown's laid-back voice makes me, I think that it's almost a new song. I, nothing of the of the Eagles' little pop and harmony and ooh and the stupid banjo, none of that is in this. <laughs> I think all three of us can uh, feel that this is a, a much better version than the, than the massive hit that was the Eagles' version. <laughs> yep. And, and I don't hate the Eagles as much as JM does, but... I know exactly what he's talking about, but if I ever well, write a song and I can get them to record it, get out of my way. I'm all that's going to happen. There you go. There you go. Let's talk. Uh, this this. Uh, you said that song doesn't fit the rest of the album. That's exactly true, but he does something here that makes it just flow right into Our Lady of the Well. There's a dance we do in silence. Far below this morning sun You in your life, me and mine We have begun And I love that part of this album, the way it all flows together. Yeah, yeah, In yeah, fact, yeah. I've been listening to it digitally on uh, Amazon Music, and I can't stand it because they have it the cuts. breaks. Yeah, mm-hmm. not, I agree with you. Final. This is uh, Sneaky Pete again, and we should mention this is David Lindley on this too. Right. Uh, he's playing uh, acoustic guitar all over this album, and I absolutely love uh, what he does with the acoustic guitar. He's playing these pretty little leads that don't interfere, but yeah, they they just make the, especially the first side. That yeah. uh, I, I, that's interesting you say that, Doug, because I feel that way about most of the instrumentation on this album. It doesn't interfere with the songs. It, it's textured, but it fits it so. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, musicianship wise, I think this is his best album well and isn't it, he cheating but it's, <laughs> it's like he's in the hallway of a very busy recording studio grabbing yeah. people who are walking <laughs> by 
<laughs> he's got these great studio musicians like Jim Keltner, who's played on. Yeah, we we probably do better if we list the songs he didn't play on. In, yeah. in all of rock and roll. Oh yeah, start with Booker T and the MGs. Yeah, so super session musician. And Our Lady of the Wells, a very pretty song. Uh, my take on it is, uh, my country is greedy and uh, yeah. moving too fast, and um, I want to be here with you guys. It's a wonderful song, and it's it's very Southern California-ish, like the whole album is. Yeah, and it's, it's really, you know, when I said that Take It Easy doesn't seem to fit, it stands out a little bit, this sort of is where to me where the album starts you know where it's where it just yeah. kind of slides into this this sort of feeling it's going to have throughout the rest of it yeah you know? yeah the way to put it it's like hey Such we're just that. getting the introduction over with now we're going to start getting into the you know the meat of the album the next song colors of the sun awake to understand you are not dreaming it is not seen I think is also a very strong song. And speaking of the Eagles, <laughs> Don Henley's singing with him on, on this. This song has always seemed strange to me. One thing you know about Jackson Brown is there's probably no one who writes and rewrites his songs more than Jackson. I mean, he's very conscientious about his songwriting and he takes it extremely seriously. So you have these things colors of the sun it's almost like a chant yeah and it's always seemed strange to me it didn't look like right song so i just got curious and i've been listening to this album most of my life and finally i i got this idea and i looked up the verses and counted the syllables i i think it's three of the verses are haikus and then it breaks off from the haikus and goes into a wonderful uh yeah. song i couldn't find anywhere on the internet to confirm these were haikus but it's, it's like no one's talked about it well i couldn't unhear it once you said that he starts it off with that strange sort of uh chord progression and that's what he's doing the haikus over he does that like three times through the song i think it's interesting he pulled something off like this and never talks about it that's, yeah uh, I'd be so proud of myself if I came that, up with that. That increases my opinion of Jackson Brown immeasurably. One of my favorite keyboard players in all of rock history is a guy named Spooner Oldham. He's done soundtracks. He's he's used to work with Dan Penn. He comes way back to that those old days, writing like the "You are you ain't nothing but a hound dog" kind of guy. And his organ playing on that song, I think. If he weren't on that song, I think that this song would not be anywhere near as interesting as it as it is. Kids, if you want to find out who's one of the greatest session players of all time, look up Spooner Oldham. Well, yep. and the next one I know, J.M., is one of your favorites. It's uh, Or it is your favorite on this album. It is. I Thought I Was a Child. With which you do your sorcery if somehow the years just bow and let that young girl go the lyrics to this song i'm not the biggest lyricist lyrics fan in the world but the way that he starts this song um just makes my heart melt it, it and he's got the great bill Payne playing piano on it from little feet it just seems like this song comes out of nowhere this is like the most effortless song i think that 
Let me say one thing about I thought I was a child, and this didn't occur to me till I started grinding away on it, uh, trying to find something interesting about each song. I think this is Doug Cooper's theory of songwriting. I think as a songwriter gets more confident, they become less obscure, less cryptic. Yeah. And I, th- I thought I was a child is not cryptic at all. Right. He's confident enough now, and, it, and it's the, the lyrics are exceptional. Uh, no, you, you can't say anything bad about the lyrics, but they're perfectly clear. There's no, nothing hidden. Right. And uh, one other thing about I thought I was a child. I think this song is foreshadowing of Late for the Sky. It is the kind uh, of, it is the yeah, kind of yeah. song that's going to be all over Late for the Sky. Uh, it's it's different than the rest of the songs on this album. It fits fine, but if you want to know what the next album's going to be like, I thought I was a child is is the example I would give you. Okay, next is the biggin. Yeah, These days. Well, I've been out walking. I don't do that much talking. This is the one. This is the one that uh, I, if Jam hadn't already talked about crying a storm, I would have, uh, I would have <laughs> talked about this one. You know, it's funny. Uh, the first version of this I heard was actually Ian Matthews' version um, from really? Fairport Convention. Yeah, he he recorded a version I think around the same time this album came out, maybe a year later, in the early '70s. That was the first version I ever heard. It's amazing that this, yeah, that Jackson Brown was 17 years old when he wrote this. I mean, yeah, come I think on. he was 16. He, in an interview I saw, he said he was 16. And then the the first, I guess, recorded version of it was Nico's version uh, yeah. from the Velvet Underground. He plays acoustic guitar on it. Um, it's you know, it's it's good in its own right, I guess, but it's nothing compared to what uh, what Jackson Brown does with, or for that matter, you know, what what Greg Allman does with it. So. Yeah, I said a positive thing about one of the Almond brothers. You can mark that mark that <laughs> yeah. down. Yeah, Greg Almond uh, and Jackson Brown apparently were extremely good friends. They were roommates. At roommates one point. and yeah. Greg Almond did knock this one out of the park. And yeah, the did. way he this says this arrangement was inspired by Greg Almond on the album. Basically Greg Almond taught him how to sing his own song. Well, that's my favorite song on this album. My mine too. And that ends, that is the end of side one, which yeah. is one of my favorite sides of music of all. Uh, yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, I think it's twice as good as the next side easily. Um, oh, but the next song is the hit. And if this is interesting, <laughs> Jamie and I were talking about this earlier. If you talk to a young person that's only bought CDs or listened to music on the Internet. Uh huh. I had one I was talking to, and she asked me, why is it that hits are always on uh, track six? That's so <laughs> weird. And she had no concept that track six is usually the first song on side two. Second side, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, all the albums I have, I've, I, I went through a couple. They have the they have a hit on track one and a hit on Track six, six. because they're trying to start each side with a hit. Redneck Friend is a, uh, it's supposed to be a hit. See if we 
remember how how high it got not real high too high yeah, it got higher than i expected it to <laughs> well <laughs> yeah and of course the, the big the big uh quote-unquote secret in it is that rocket a johnny playing piano on it's elton john yeah um rocket and, day uh, johnny you know where rocket day johnny comes from no you both know where it comes from you just don't know where it comes from <laughs> okay it's uh, Bob Dylan's uh, <laughs> talking World War II blues, uh, where the DJ is going. <laughs> it's Rockin' A Johnny. I uh, uh, love your mom. <laughs> love your Paul. <laughs> well, you know, you know why he's credited as Rockin' A Johnny on that song. He evidently didn't have his work visa, <laughs> so so he couldn't. Otherwise, he would have been credited as Elton John, but he didn't have his work visa, <laughs> so he got credited as Rockin' A Johnny um, on it. Yeah, I think that's so. the most fun that. Uh, Elton John ever had playing piano. He, he just seems a lot looser on this song. I yeah, had a little that, bit of trouble hearing him uh, with with uh, David Lindley jamming yeah. out so heavy. It, yeah. it is it is it is a little bit tough. I I was uh, playing it for my kiddos because they of course you know it's it's the big thing to love Elton John right now uh, if you're of a certain age and they they were having trouble hearing him too. I think yeah I think the mixing on it's a little little odd if you're going to have someone of that caliber fame caliber yeah. fame playing on it yeah uh, and guess who sings backup glenn fry who actually had uh, a that's right take it easy that's yeah right. so you got your, yeah, yeah. There's some, and yeah, that's, it's, that's that's not apparent uh very very apparent either. no it's not it's funny uh, the who's who on this album it's like a who's who of southern california you know country rock i'm surprised linda yeah. ronstadt's not on this album. i was considering i, everything. I was saying the same thing <laughs> myself today how in the world did she avoid being on this show? No, no idea. But everybody else is on it. Yeah, you got sure. Russ Kunkel, you got Jim Keltner, you got Leland Sklar, you got David Crosby's I don't know on it. Warren Zabon is. What's that, Doug? Doug? Warren Zabon must not have been ready yet. <laughs> yeah, he's even on the same uh, label. And he well, I mean, I, Jackson Brown's got him started. I don't yeah. think you could have an album. Uh, from this time period that had any sort of country rock leanings without Sneaky Pete on it. And yeah, he's all yeah. over everything, you know? So. Yeah. Uh, we need to take a little uh, slide, a little detour into Sneaky Pete's history. For those who don't know, one of my favorite bands of that era is uh, International Submarine Band. And that's where Sneaky Pete got his uh, start. Besides doing, uh, playing Steel on all these incredible albums, he had a side career that was actually turned out to be much more lucrative for him uh, as a stop action uh, photographer. And he worked on The Empire Strikes Back. And for anybody that remembers Land of the Lost. That's what he, I was going to say. Anyone our age, that was really a cool Saturday morning show. Uh, the dinosaurs look terrible now, but when you were a uh, kid, when you were our age, anything with a dinosaur was cool. That that show still holds up. The special effects a little odd, but it, I mean, it's got, I know we're taking a detour here, but it's got yeah. some, the storylines still hold story up. I mean, it's some yeah, bizarre yeah. sci-fi weirdness going on. What Sneaky Pete do on that show? The special effects, all the yeah. dinosaurs moving around. Those weren't yeah. real, Tony. 
Oh, man. Really? Yeah. Grumpy wasn't real. And he also uh, did uh, David and Goliath. Remember that? Oh, that I do. That, so yeah. he did all that sort of claymation stuff. all that stuff. David claymation stuff, yeah. I so. did not know any of that. Yeah, it's cool. And he played slide guitar in uh, Heart Like a Will, which is my favorite Linda Ronstadt record. And I think the, the playing on that's just amazing. So um, the only thing I can say about Redneck Friend is that's a wink, wink, nod, nod. Isn't it funny kind of deal? Sort of the same he did with Rosie years later. And yeah. uh, I think we ought to just be thankful there's not a cowbell in that song. <laughs> All right, and that, that goes right into the times you've come with. Still, I love the times you've come. When you went away, taking all that I've Which, uh, that fits better on the first side of the record than, the, than right after that, but... Here it yeah. finds itself right after Redneck Friend and right before Ready or Not. The acoustic guitar interplay on this song I like quite a bit. There's a little bit more Jackson Brown showing his acoustic guitar playing ability. And, of course, David Lindley just always can find the exact right arpeggio to hit when he when he plays. And his, his solo on this, I think, is, is very good. Who sings harmony on this one? Okay, so this is something that I don't understand. Bonnie Raitt is a fine, fine slide guitar player. Uh-huh. But it seems like almost every album that she guests on during this time period, between like 1970 and 1978, she's she always a backup singer. Yeah. Well, you no see guy her play- wants some girl getting up there with a the guitar playing better than he can. <laughs> <laughs> I think Doug hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. Well, the next song is uh, Ready or Not. Um, I I can't stand this song. Um, Really? (laughs) I think, you know what I said about uh, Redneck Friend? I'm ready or not. I'm just glad there's not a Jews harp on it. (laughs) I like this song. I like this song, too. I li- actually, it, as throwaway as the lyrics are, I find them to be somewhat endearing. The next thing I remember, she was all moved in, and I was buying her a washing machine. Now, baby's feeling funny in the morning. She says she's got a lot on her mind. Nature didn't give her any warning, but she's yeah, I think that's just a little too cute for me. No, no, no. I, I like the the way that first ver- verse ends, or I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I first... just like that. I guess we'll reach some understanding when we see what the future will bring. I like that line. I think it's a good line, uh, considering like what wa- the subject matter is. Yeah, I like the had to bought her a washing machine line. Well, you know, I the could... lady he sang this about hated that line. He had to quit singing that. Oh, really? She was an actress with career aspirations of her own, and she goes, "What?" What? I'm going to be sitting there with my new washing machine doing your laundry while you're out doing stuff. She hates this song. I'll tell you how much I hate this song, Tony. If I were an A&R guy in Nashville with yeah. one of those cheesy, bedazzled guys uh, singing about sexy tractors or whatever, I would, um, I would take this song in there and I would have them make this a Nashville hit. 
what, you, I think it fits perfectly. And it even has that deal at the end of the verse where it goes, bum, 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 like it just you sums know what it I, up or something. You, you know what I think? I have a theory about this. Why, one of the reasons you don't like it. It's extremely reminiscent of later era Jackson, Jackson Brown. Oh, it, yeah. It, it feels like a much later version, like a much later song of his. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and I know and, I know you're not particularly fond of that era of Jackson Brown, so No, I I really appreciated it when he became an expert on energy and everything else in the damn world. But <laughs> you know, this song wouldn't bother me so much if it were somebody other than Jackson Brown. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah. I I can see that. If I can it see were that. Uh, Jimmy Buffett, I would say that's good for Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's a little better quality, I think, than Jimmy Buffett's songs. Oh, I like it. I think the the lyrics aren't the lyrics aren't that bad. It marks David Lindley's first time playing a violin or a fiddle on a Jackson Brown album. He plays. I do like the fiddle on this song quite a bit. I could do without huh. the "Bless My Soul." She's got a rock and roll band. <laughs> well, like self. I said, the the lyrics are a little throwaway, but there's some. I don't know. There's something about him that's charming. I'm glad we got past redneck friend and uh, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> Sing my songs to me. I would put this as one of the songs in the middle as far as quality on this album. We got Joni Mitchell playing electric piano. Yeah, that I, makes it interesting. Yeah, I, I don't say, man, if I had her playing the piano, I'd say, well, why don't you sing along with me, too, though? I love yeah, her exactly. voice. I, I'm yeah. with you on that. With you on that, too. That's funny that she's on this right after Ready or Not, because he was dating her when he got that, when, when he left her for the girl that Ready or Not's about. Uh, oh, fun. really? Yeah, Who is so, Ready or Not about? It's his it's wife. His, it's wife. She, unfortunately, she uh, committed suicide. Who did Joni Mitchell not date, and who did Jackson Brown not date? That's a good, yeah. a good question. If I knew when I was younger that Jackson Brown had dated all these women, I would have started writing sensitive guy songs <laughs> in uh, high school. Uh, so the bass player is Wilton Felder, and what's interesting about Wilton Felder is he was a jazz saxophone player. He started off playing with uh, New Jazz Quartet, Milt Holland specifically. And so he had a kind of a dual career as a bass player in the rock world and a sax player in the jazz world. Well, he was the sax player for a band called the Crusaders, which I believe were called the Jazz Crusaders before. Yeah, Jazz Crusaders. One thing I also want to point out about this song, because it leads into the next song, the drums are played by this guy named Gary Molliber. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But he's doing that um, amazing floor tom roll, taking it into the next song. Everybody I, talk to. I don't understand how he does that. And then Russ Kunkel plays drums on the next track. And it just rolls into that next track. And the next thing I never noticed that before. It doesn't sound like they switch drummers at all. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they switch drummers at all, but they do. 
That's and interesting. I just, I, yeah, I always wondered how they did that. Um, well, speaking back- of the next song, that's the uh, that's the biggie. That's uh, this is the apocalypse part of the introduction for every man. This song was uh, a response to Wooden Ships, uh, which was written by uh, David Crosby, who wrote a <laughs> yeah. third of it. And who else uh, was uh, Stephen Stills and Paul Kentner? Uh, Stephen Stills, of course, from. Uh, 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 Stephen Stills and his two backup singers, also known as Cosby Stills, Nash and Young. And then Paul Kempner was from Jefferson Starship, Jefferson Airplane. And then uh, not only did, uh, was this a response to that song, uh, but David Crosby sings harmony on this. Right. And it, it begs my eternal question, what is David Crosby for? <laughs> what did he do with the birds? What does he do for Crosby, Seals, Nash, and Young? And what does he do for this song? The only thing I could figure out, listening to it over and over again, he makes Jackson Brown's voice sound really strong. Well, I think, uh, well, you could look at it and say that, you know, in the, in, you said it's a response. I guess in the country tradition, it's an answer song to three, uh, to Wooden Ships. Uh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what he did for this song, is he inspired Jackson Brown to write a song that wasn't about some hip, hipster exodus across the sea. <laughs> you know? That's exactly what it is. Exactly. I don't know if they had hipsters yet. They had to call them something else back then. <laughs> Hippies. Hippies. Well, the the interesting thing about this particular song is how much emphasis people who reviewed this album put on it in terms of it being this weird sort of bridge between the 60s and the 70s, you know? Like, well, the cynical idealism, you know, kind of, you know, there's a better, there's a, we're just going to give up and go someplace else and into the 70s more sort of, uh, well, I'm not going to run away, but things still still aren't that great type of way of looking yeah. at stuff, you know? I know I know Doug has a couple of issues with a couple of songs on this album, but I I love this album. I I don't ever get tired of listening to it. It holds up. It, I mean, it, I've I've been listening to it for decades, and it just you know it still holds up as being just a fantastic album. Uh, despite what I said about two of the numbers and the presence of uh, David Crosby, I uh, <laughs> this is my favorite Jackson Brown album. It is. Also, the the first Jackson Brown album I ever heard. Jackson Brown was my first favorite artist. Oh, uh, I didn't know for that. For junior high school. Uh, I can still remember the... Uh, my best friend's father had like 2,000 albums in his room in his house. He, he allowed us to go through and pull them out and test them out. And when I got hooked on Jackson Brown, I remember him coming to me and saying you got to listen to someone else you can't stay <laughs> you can't stay hooked with jackson brown so he, he was the first one i uh he was my first favorite and uh also the first artist where i owned all of his albums uh and then uh, of course after hold off hold hold out i jumped off 
<laughs> the boat, but uh, yeah. This this speaking of the album, uh, it's a cool album. It has a the inner sleeve pulls out, and the picture. There's a window that lets you see the picture on the inner inner sleeve, and you pull the album out, and behind the inner sleeve is the same picture, except Jackson Brown and his rocking chair are out of the picture, <laughs> and there's a couple of pigeons that have come to the well where he was sitting. But it is one of the, I think it's one of the coolest album covers. Uh, yeah. Except you inevitably will rip the album, putting it in and out. That's I have true. two copies of it, and they're both ripped in the same place. <laughs> that was uh, maybe the first where we all agree, or For Every Man by Jackson Brown. It is a good use of your dollars if you want to go out and buy some vinyl. About this time, Tony... You usually share with us something that we're unaware of. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought tonight I'd talk about uh, a band that I, I adore. Um, I I you know talking about when you're talking about Jackson Brown owning everything by or owning up to a point everything by him. I think I own everything by this this band, the Bottle Rockets. They put out an album uh, most recently in late 2018 called Bit Logic. Um, it's as fantastic as anything they've done. They don't seem to have, uh, missed a beat. Um, they're, you know, on, on the country rock spectrum of things. Uh, Jam and I have seen them live a couple of times. Um, little quick story about them. Uh, they were having some trouble with their bass amp one time when we were seeing them. I mean, it took them probably 15 minutes to figure out what the problem was. And they finally figured the problem out. And the, the lead singer, Brian Henneman, after they were able to, figure it out just walks up to the uh walks up to the mic and says uh says well there's only one thing we can do now and they launch directly into cheap trick surrender so <laughs> it's a pretty cool moment uh anyway uh the 15 minutes that that amp was being replaced was like the 15 funniest minutes that i've ever seen a rock musician do on stage i mean the guy was just freaking hilarious yeah it was, it, yeah there's it was I wish somebody had recorded that. I mean, they were great live. The, the music was fantastic, but the way he handled that and as hilarious as he was, was just, that was worth the price of admission right there. Anyway, their, their most recent album, BitLogic, like everything they do is worth getting. It's, it's a good, uh, good slab of music. I highly recommend it. That's yeah. the Bottle Rockets and BitLogic? Bit logic, yeah, it's got a uh, like a it's got a 16-bit picture of Clint Eastwood from uh, the Spaghetti Westerns on the front of it. It's a pretty cool cover. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, good night. Appreciate y'all listening to us. Please contact us on our email account, tappingvinyl at gmail.com. Let us know what you think and give us some suggestions on albums we should uh, look at. And we also want to say. Uh, a special hello to our friends in Clichy, Clichy, Ile-de-France, and to our friends in Lake Stevens, Washington. Keep listening to us. Uh, pass us around. Really appreciate y'all downloading us and letting us hear from you. Next week, we've got another fantastic album that we're going to be looking at, Dire Straits, Making Movies, an album that was made in 1980. So for our host, Doug Cooper... For our co-host, Tony Slagle, and from yours truly, your producer, Jonathan Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap.